0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to week one of a new teaching series called Rocky Road. I'm excited uh, to be here with you. Uh, Rocky Road, despite my well-chronicled love for Bluebell ice cream, this is not a series about ice cream. Uh, Given the weather the last couple of weeks, that might have been a good idea, but we're not going that direction. It is, as you can see from the slide, a series about the life of Peter. And if you're wondering uh, about why it's called Rocky Road, I want to explain that by playing a little game. And the name of the game is What's my nickname? What's my nickname? Okay, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to put a picture on the screen, and if you know the nickname, you're just going to shout it out, okay? Got it? This is audience participation, all right? So let's, let's put the first picture up there. This is Michael Jordan. Who is this? Goat. Air Jordan. Also, I would accept goat also, yes, Air Jordan. Yes, uh, some nicknames like this one are, are meant to describe, you know, you see him as he's flying through the air, right? So Air Jordan, good. Let's try, let's try a political one, let's see. Who's this? It is Kennedy. What's his nickname? JFK. JFK. Exactly. JFK. Some other nicknames uh, like this one are just shortened versions of names, right? Just shortened versions of names. Okay, let's try the next one. This is a two for one. It's a little dated. I apologize, but I'm old. What can I say? What are they together? Brangelina. Brangelina. Yes. Brangelina. Awesome. Well done. Well done. So uh, some, some of our staff actually have nicknames too. I don't know if you, if you know this. So, uh, so this is... This is Arthur Mendez. Uh, Arthur is our adult pastor. By the way, did just a fantastic job filling in for Micah leading worship at the last couple of weeks. Um, just to keep him humble, I'm gonna share his nickname with you. We didn't actually know that he had a nickname until he asked us to start calling him this. Uh, what's his nickname? Let's put it up. It's the uh, South American Stallion, yes. <laughs> Love you, Arthur. Uh, Pastor Larry has a nickname too. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Who's Pastor Larry? America's Pastor. America's Pastor, yes. America's Pastor. The Cowboys used to have their training facility here in Valley Ranch and they're America's team. And so Valley Ranch Baptist Church's Pastor has to be America's Pastor, right? So like we said, some nicknames are just shortened versions. Some are more descriptive. Some are more ironic, like calling a big guy tiny or a bald guy curly. I'll leave it up to you to decide which one America's pastor is, if it's ironic or whatever, you know. Okay, why all the talk about nicknames? Because Rocky Road, the name of the series is based on a nickname, and it is the nickname of Peter. In fact, the disciple, the apostle Peter, that name is actually not his given name. Did you know that? His given name was Simon, and Jesus gave him the nickname Peter the very first time they met. Check it out, John chapter 1. This is the very first time Jesus meets uh, Simon Peter. And, he, and Jesus looked at him, John says, and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Pretty bold thing to do the first time you meet someone, right? Just go ahead and just give him a nickname. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He says, I know your name is Simon. The name on your birth certificate is Simon. But I'm going to call you Peter. Matthew tells us that in Aramaic, Uh, it's Cephas, in in Greek it's Petros, or English Peter. And that word, Cephas, Petros, Peter, means rock, rock. Long before Dwayne Johnson was the rock, 2,000 years before Dwayne Johnson was the rock, Peter was the rock. And in some ways you might think this is intended to be one of those ironic nicknames, like curly or tiny, right? Because sometimes in Peter's life he didn't exactly seem to act like uh, the rock. But throughout this series, as we study his life, we're going to find out that even though his road was a bit rocky and there were some ups and downs, as it turns out, by God's grace, Jesus didn't just call Simon the rock, he actually turned him into the rock. So over these next five weeks, we're going to look at five scenes from Peter's life. And as we study his life, we're going to see through his ups and downs, through his successes and failures, what lessons we can learn as well. This morning, we're going to start with his name, that name, Peter, the rock. And uh, really, we're going to talk about not just his name, but his identity, who he is. And as we look at who he is, I think we're going to learn a thing or two, maybe even about who we are as well. Uh, the passage we're going to look at comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter. I'll start reading in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. On my vacation a couple weeks ago, I read an old book called The Born Identity. Has anybody ever either read that book or seen the movie starring Matt Damon? Okay. Uh, It's a really interesting premise. Uh, The main character, who's played by Matt Damon in the movie, uh, wakes up at the beginning of the, the story with no idea who he is. He's been shot, and he's developed total and complete amnesia. And the rest of the story is basically him trying to figure out who he is, or at least who he was, uh, before he was shot. That and escaping a whole bunch of people are trying to chase him and trying to kill him. And I think the whether you like the movie or not, uh, it, it's a really interesting question. How do you know who you are? If you woke up one morning with amnesia, how, how would you know who you are? It's interesting, right? But it, it applies really to, to all of us. How do we know who we are? I mean, most of us don't have amnesia. You could tell us your hometown and your name and where you work. But does that really tell who you are? Does that really tell your identity? I think it's an important question because all of us want to have an identity, right? We, we all have this internal desire to be somebody. We want to matter. And, you know, throughout our lives, we do a bunch of different stuff to try to uh, create an identity for ourselves. It starts early, I think at least as early as middle school. Uh, you know, maybe we try to carve out in middle school an identity by who we sit with at lunch or, you know, how we talk or what, what we wear. You know, for me, this desire to carve out an identity for myself in middle school honestly led me to some really poor fashion decisions back in the 80s. Pink suspenders. I don't know whose idea that was. When we get older, we, we use different methods. Maybe it's not pink suspenders, but the, really the desire is the same, isn't it? We want to be somebody. We try to carve out an identity maybe through our achievements, our, what we accomplish, what we, what we get done, or maybe through our wealth or maybe through our online presence, how many followers we have, how many likes we can get. Maybe through our hobbies, maybe the, the sports teams we follow. The methods may be different, but that desire really is the same. It's really universal. We want to be somebody. We want to, we want to know who we are. The problem is somehow, despite all of our best efforts, when we get along with our thoughts, the question's still there, isn't it? Is it enough? Am I somebody? Who am I? Well, that question of identity is really right at the heart of this morning's passage. As we go through the text, we're going to look at identity, who Jesus is and who Peter is. And then we're going to learn some important lessons along the way about who we are as well. We'll start with Jesus. The question that dominates the first part of this passage is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? At this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus and the disciples have been uh, going throughout Galilee, healing people, teaching And the text says they went to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, This is about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's a Gentile area. Uh, Luke's version of this story tells us that they had gone there to pray, kind of take a spiritual retreat, a break from their ministry. And while they're there, Jesus asks the disciples a really interesting question. Verse 13, he looks at the disciples and he says, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And by the way, this phrase Son of man, that's one of Jesus' favorite ways of referring to himself. So he's asking, hey, when you talk to the crowds, who, who do people say that I am? So there it is, that question of identity. Who do people think Jesus is? And the disciples reply by giving one basic option. We're going to talk about two options, but they give one basic option of who Jesus might be. Verse 14, the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So who are the people saying Jesus is as they talk about him? Basically, they're, they're, they're saying he's, he's like the prophets. He's one of, these, one of these prophet guys. Who are the prophets? The prophets were, were people who showed up at really important and pivotal times in Israel's history and spoke on God's behalf to the people. They would point out where the people were falling short, uh, and they would encourage them to be faithful to God. And they also looked ahead to this time when God would send a Messiah. He would send a rescuer to rescue Israel. The prophets were a hugely important part of God's plan to reveal his coming kingdom. And the people knew that the problem was they just didn't really listen to him. <laughs> they, they, they thought the prophets were a nice idea. It was, it's nice that someone's speaking on God's behalf, but, but in general, they, they kind of said, you know what? I'm going to take my own path. So the first option uh, for who Jesus might be, I'm calling a nice idea. A nice idea. That's what people were saying. In other words, they're not saying Jesus is irrelevant. They're not saying he doesn't matter. And certainly there were people then that thought he was irrelevant just as today. But for the most part, the people Jesus is talking about, they thought he was a nice idea, like like the prophets were a nice idea. I was trying to imagine what would someone say, what would one of these members of the crowd say if you asked them, you know, what do you think about Jesus? I I think they would say, you know, it's, it's a nice idea like the prophets. I mean, those miracles are pretty cool. You know, you you show up on a hillside expecting to hear a sermon and Jesus snaps his fingers and there's an all-you-can-eat buffet of loaves and fish, you know. And those miracles, I mean, remember the time when he raised that dead girl to life? That was amazing. And not just the miracles, but the teaching. I mean, the sermon on the mount, are you kidding? It's amazing. It's so so captivating as he describes what life in the kingdom might be like. In fact, the way he, he describes it it makes you wish it was actually possible to live that way. I mean, we all know it's unrealistic, right? But it's awfully nice to think about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. People would say, I mean, I'm not going to live that way, but it's a, it's a nice idea, right? So that's option, option one. Jesus is a nice idea. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He goes on. He presses in on the disciples and he asks not who the people say he is, but he says then, verse 15... Who do you say I am? Man, he really gets to the heart of the matter here, doesn't he? He's not satisfied just hearing the general word on the street of who Jesus is. He wants to get personal. He wants to know who the disciples say he is. And Peter, who so often speaks first, he answers on behalf of the other disciples. And the sentence that he utters in verse 16 is one of the most profound, most beautiful, most consequential statements really in all of Scripture check out what Peter says in verse 16 Simon Peter answered you are the Messiah the son of the living God now if you've logged a lot of hours in church you may be thinking what's the big deal we all know that Jesus is the Messiah you know whatever this is this is old news but listen at that time in this context this was a mic drop moment this was a huge huge moment in fact uh, this is in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the very first time that anyone other than Matthew as the narrator has referred to Jesus as the Messiah. This is a huge turning point in, in the Gospel. And what, what, what does it mean, this word Messiah? What was Peter saying when he called Jesus the Messiah? Well, that word Messiah, really interesting, it's sometimes translated Christ in English. It literally means anointed one. Anointed one, God's chosen And and at that time, there was this picture of what the Messiah would be that was influenced by the Old Testament prophets. And and the summary of what they were expecting as the Messiah, based on the prophets, was a a promised king. A promised king. Through the prophets, God had had promised that there would be a descendant of King David. King David was the the legendary best king in the history of Israel. And the Messiah was going to be a descendant of King David who would fix everything who would come back and restore what was broken. You know, Israel had been into exile and things were falling apart and now the Romans were in charge and the Messiah was going to come and turn all of this around. The Messiah was going to be the king who would save them. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for years and years. and, And what Peter's saying is the waiting's over. It's time. Messiah is here now. Things are changing. Now... This is a totally different thing from saying that Jesus is a nice idea, right? I mean, if Jesus is a prophet, and then he just has some nice things to say, and we may or may not listen to him. But if he's the Messiah, if he's the, the king, that's a different story, right? He's, he's the king here to rescue us. He's in charge. What he says goes. I really like the way that N.T. Wright puts this contrast. He says... Jesus wasn't just God's mouthpiece, like a prophet speaking on God's behalf. Jesus wasn't just God's mouthpiece, he was God's Messiah. He wasn't just speaking God's word against the wicked rulers of the time, he was God's king who would replace them. See that, he was the new king come to replace the old. And so here we see Peter is giving us the second option of who Jesus is. How do we answer that question, who is Jesus? And Peter says he's not a nice idea, he's the king. Jesus is the king. All right, I don't want to miss just how radically different these two identities are. How much of an impact it has how we answer this question, who is Jesus? This, this question is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Because if we view Jesus as just a nice idea, which let's be honest, so many people in our culture view Jesus as just a nice idea. If, if we view him that way, then we get to decide whether to listen to him or not, based on how much we like what he has to say, right? We view Jesus as an advisor. He's someone we come to for input, for feedback, for advice. But if Jesus is the king, he's not an advisor. He's the authority. We submit to him no matter what, even when it doesn't make sense to us, no matter even if it it costs us something. If Jesus is just a nice idea, then listening to him is an option. We can follow or not follow depending on how convenient it is. But, it, but if Jesus is the king, listening is not optional, right? It's essential. You see the difference? It's all about who is in control. Who's on the throne? If Jesus is a nice idea, we're in charge. If he's the king, he's in charge. We're, we're choosing consciously to bow our knee to him and say, I'm not the king anymore. You're the king. Now. No. Let's just be honest, that's scary. That's scary, right? Because it comes at a cost and it's a high cost. We want so desperately to be in control of our lives. But the truth is there's really only room on the throne for one, Jesus or us. So it is scary to acknowledge Jesus as the king, but remember, Jesus isn't just any king. He's not just like the picture of a king that we may have in our heads that abuses his own authority for his own purposes no Jesus is the Messiah he is the perfect king as Peter says the son of the living God he's the one that's come to save us the one who's come to rescue us the one who's come to bring God's kingdom on earth so that what we des- what was described in the sermon on the mount could actually happen that people could actually live that way Peter says Jesus is the king the son of the living God he's come to rescue us now Peter has no idea at that point how it's going to happen I mean, the rest of the gospel is just shocking because you, you would expect that if someone is going to come and overthrow the Romans, they're going to do it the way that kings normally do it, right? which is by force, right? Peter doesn't know at that time that the way the victory will be won is through sacrifice, that the way the victory will be won is through love and through the cross. He doesn't know yet about the glory of the resurrection or the power of the ascension or the gift of the Holy Spirit. In that moment, all he knew was that Jesus was the king, and that was enough. The passage goes on uh, from there. Take a look at how Jesus replies to this mic drop statement that Peter makes. This is so cool. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Note what he calls him, first of all. We'll, We'll talk about that in a second. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I love this, he says, Simon, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. But just in case you start feeling proud of yourself, remember, you didn't figure this out on your own. My Father in heaven revealed it to you. And by the way, that's a really important point for us to remember too, because anytime anyone, including us, comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as the King, it's not because of how smart we are. It's not because of how theologically astute we are. It is only by the grace of God who reveals Jesus to us. I think that ought to do two things for us. Number one, it ought to keep us humble, remembering that it's not uh, how smart we were that saved us. Number two, I think it ought to strengthen our prayer lives as we know that the only hope for our world, the only hope for the people we love and care about is for the Father to reveal himself to them. And so we pray for that. All right, so look look at what happens next. This is so interesting. What we think is a passage about Jesus' identity suddenly takes a hard left turn and becomes about Peter's identity. Check it out. Remember, uh, he's called Peter Simon here, right? And then look what happens in the very next verse. He says, and I tell you, Simon, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Isn't that interesting? Same sentence. In verse 17, Jesus uses the name on Simon's birth certificate. He says, you're Simon, son of Jonah. But then immediately he turns around and says, hey, you're actually not Simon anymore. He addresses him again, but this time he uses the nickname that he gave him all those months ago, back the first time they met. He calls him Peter, Petros, the Rock. So what does this mean? Is this just an accident? Does he just kind of use these names interchangeably? No, this was absolutely intentional. What Jesus is saying is that all this time later, Simon has actually grown into his nickname. Simon is now ready to be the Rock. By God's grace, he has actually become Peter. He's not just called the rock, he was the rock. And what was it that made the difference? It's how he answered that question. It's that he came to know that Jesus was the king. That's that's the difference. By God's grace Peter has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and now that he sees that clearly, Jesus says, now now you're the rock. Now I can use you in ways that you could have never imagined. And Peter, I'm going to use you can't imagine this, but I'm gonna use you to be a foundational part of building my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I think there's a really, really important lesson for us in here. And here's the lesson: who we become depends on what we believe. Who we become in God's kingdom depends on what we believe. Flipped it around, said it another way. What we believe about Jesus, how we answer that question, who do you say that I am, determines who will become in God's kingdom. Now that Peter has come to the point where he, he actually recognizes who Jesus truly is, he sees him as the king, uh, then, then Jesus says, look, I'm gonna now use you to build my church. Is Peter perfect? Absolutely not. There are all kinds of ups and downs in his journey, but that pivotal moment where he recognizes Christ as the king opens the door for Jesus to use him. And when you read the rest of the New Testament, you see that, that Jesus' prediction actually comes true. Whenever the disciples are listed in scripture, it's really interesting. Peter is always named first, every single time. And then in the, uh, uh, the book of Acts, uh, you see on Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church, Peter is the one who had the privilege of, of sharing the gospel with these thousands of people. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, Peter plays uh, a key leadership role. And even in Paul's letters, Paul recognizes Peter's special place as a leader. Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah has opened the door for God to use him in this powerful way. Why? Because who we become depends on what we believe. What we believe about Jesus determines who we become in God's kingdom. And friends, it's not just true for Peter. It's true for us. It's true about you and me. Who we become depends on what we believe. How we answer that question, who do you say that I am, is the key determining factor to that identity we talked about. Now, here's the thing. If we're not careful, it can be so easy to answer like the crowds answered. It can be so easy to say Jesus is a nice idea like one of the prophets. I mean, we're not saying he doesn't matter. We're not saying he's irrelevant, right? We're just saying that we want to come to him on our terms, not his terms. We'll be glad to listen to him when it's convenient or when when we like what he has to say. I mean, we'll definitely pray when we need something. And we'll be glad to obey his commands as long as they line up with what we wanted to do anyway. But when something is required of us, when it when it re- requires sacrifice, when it gets hard, gosh, just to be honest, for me, it's just so easy to say, "Thank you, Jesus, for the advice," but I'm going to still be the king. But friends, when we say that, it it, it has an impact. It determines on who we bec- it determines who we become. When, when we settle for our own miniature kingdom, we miss out on the inexpressible blessing of being a part of Christ's kingdom. You know, even for those of us who have made the decision to, to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, even for those of us who, who have, have made that life-altering decision to follow Jesus, it's really easy, <laughs> it's really easy, isn't it, to kind of try to climb back on the throne from time to time? And I find myself doing this regularly. It reminds me of a dog we used to have uh, years ago. We had this beagle named Bailey. She was terrible. I mean, awful, honestly. Uh, Super cute. Way too smart for her own good. And uh, she loved getting on the couch, but we did not allow her on the furniture. So when we weren't looking, first of all, she was always up there. But when we were on the couch, she was sneaky, right? And so Joanne and I would be sitting on the couch, and she would walk up and kind of put her, her nose up on the couch and wait about two minutes and then she'd take one paw and just kind of real slowly <laughs> set it up there next to us. Look, Dad, I, I mean, I'm still on the floor. I'm just, I'm just snuggling here. And then if we didn't do anything, a couple minutes later, real slowly, one back paw, <laughs> up like this. Two up, two down. We're watching, you know, a couple minutes later, one more front paw, still got one foot on the ground. Finally, we'd figure out what was going on and make her get back down. Can you relate? Bailey and I know I can I mean I know that Jesus belongs on the throne and I don't belong on the throne but still still sometimes I just want to get one paw back up there <laughs> maybe two I know that about myself but friends what I also know is when I do that I miss out I miss out on the beauty of living life in Christ's kingdom I miss out on the beauty of what God has for us but there's another way There's another way, if by grace we can say with Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the king, then not only do we get the blessing of being a part of that kingdom that he's bringing, but unbelievably we find out that Jesus can actually use us, broken, sinful, messed up, weak, us. He can use us to build his kingdom in a mighty and powerful way. He can use us in a way that we never imagined and we can actually find what we've been looking for all along when we're looking for that identity we find that we actually become who Christ had for us all along not because we're so good not because we're so smart not because we're so theologically astute or so self-disciplined but because we've seen who Jesus is we recognize who he is and in recognizing who Jesus is we open ourselves to God make us who we truly are. We open the door for God to use us in ways we could have never imagined. And just like Jesus says at the end of the passage, not even the gates of hell can stand against what God intends to do in the church and in you and me, friends. I love what Dwight L. Moody said years ago. He has this quote I just love. He says, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated, to him. Isn't that beautiful? Who we believe Jesus to be determines what we'll become. He says the world, I can't even imagine what God could do with a man, with a woman, with a teenager who's fully committed, fully consecrated to him, who has opened the door to Jesus as the King. Isn't that beautiful? I'd love to invite you to imagine for just a moment what, what could God do in you? What could God do through you? What might he do in your family? What might he do in your neighborhood? Students, what might God want to do in your school? Adults, what might God want to do in your office? Church, what might he do in our community? What might he do in the world if we open the door to Jesus the King? By God's grace, I pray that we get the blessing of finding out together. You know, we started the, the message today talking about that question. How do you know who you are? How do you find your identity? And the beautiful thing is for those of us who are in Christ, for those who of us who with Peter have said, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king. The answer to who we are is clear. We are who God says we are by grace. And who does God say we are by grace? And this book is full Full of descriptions, I'll close with just a few. When we believe that Jesus is the king, who do we become? Well, John 1 says, to all who received him, to everyone who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Friends, that's who you are. If you have acknowledged Jesus as the king, you are a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Ephesians 1, when it describes who we are in Christ, it says we're holy and blameless in his sight. How amazing is that? Ephesians 2 says that we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In Colossians 3, we see that we're God's chosen people, not because of what we've we've done, but because of his grace. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. In John 15, Jesus says who we are. He says, you know what I call you? I call you my friends. 1 Corinthians 3 says we are God's temple and his spirit lives inside of us. And then Romans 8 says we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And friends, we have this identity not because of who we are, but because Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful passage. And more than that, we thank you for this beautiful truth that you are the king. You are the Messiah. You have come to rescue us. You've come to make all things new. You've come to restore what's broken. You've come to forgive us. You've come to heal us. And we say thank you. We praise you. And God, we pray that you would help us to stay off the throne And to leave behind our own little miniature kingdom and be a part of yours. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.